Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hi, everyone. I just wanted to say a quick welcome to new listeners and subscribers. I'm very glad you're here. Thank you so much. Um, If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share it with your friends and even leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be very helpful. If you are really a fan, you can find us at Patreon slash Always Wanted. Anyhow, I'm mostly just glad you're here and thank you very much for listening. Here's the interview. My guest today is Sarah Tarvin. Sarah calls herself an obsessed polyglot. She's lived and taught in six countries on three continents and currently uses eight languages regularly at varying levels. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. So tell me, um, what's your background with languages? Did you start learning them at a really young age? So yeah, actually, um, I so my my first language is English, and um, I was fortunate to have parents who were really engaged in getting me involved with a lot of different things when I was young, um, and I had kind of run through all of the more obvious options. I had done the um, the sports, the art, choir, you know, all of those sorts of things, mm-hmm. and I was in a an after school special program that basically introduced us to the idea of uh, Europe. And I was seven years old at the time. And it was just one of those things where I was, I lived in small town, Nebraska. And after school, we went to this room in a, in the public library and they showed us little video clips and and taught us that there were these other countries and it just blew my mind. (laughs) And, um, and then they, they started telling me that, that um, bonjour meant hello and hola also meant hello. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And I just, as soon as I wrapped my head around this idea that um, there were other words that meant the same things as, as the English words that I knew, it was like this fascinating puzzle. I was just like, I could use these other words and be the same thing, but then maybe some people would understand me and that opens doors and, and then maybe some people won't understand me and then I could be, you know, speaking in code. And so I was fascinated. And um, at around the same time, my mother had a, I, I think I'm young, I was young. So I think this is how it worked. It was a work colleague of hers had a wife who was French and um, she was no longer um, working or anything. She was at home. And so she had opened herself to teaching young children French. And so they arranged it so that I would go over once a week in the evening and spend, I don't know, like an hour, maybe two. And she would basically just play with me in French. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so that oh, was my cool. first second language, if you will. <laughs> and uh, so although I remember the the realization that other languages is, exist, I was young enough that I I honestly don't really remember what it was like not to understand at least basic French. Um, wow. And then I just kept adding from there um, because it was kind of small town Nebraska. Uh, we didn't really have many other opportunities for a foreign language. So it was it was many years before I continued down the language path. I uh, had to wait until middle school, I think, when you could start taking them as electives. And so in middle and high school, 
I was the I was one of two students in the school. My my best friend was similarly interested that uh, we took all of the languages offered. We used all of our elective hours to take um, Spanish and German. And um, the the Spanish by that point we had moved, and I was living in a community that was about fifty percent native Spanish speaker. So that went made sense to me. And German, we started hosting German exchange students. One of whom I still can he's he and I are the same age, and to this day twenty ish years later, we still consider ourselves brother and sister. And so um, I, I actually ended up, um, German is now my, my most fluent language. I'm a fluent, a near native speaker of German. Wow. And then let's see, I, um, I was in a relationship with a, um, a man from uh, Singapore in college. And so with his family, uh, I started learning in college uh, how to speak Mandarin and I spoke it with his family. Uh, and then let's see, Jap- Japanese I added. When I started becoming a language, the um, conversation partner for Japanese students and I was just really, really drawn to their culture and um, all of that. So I started learning Japanese and Arabic I learned when I lived in Oman as an adult teaching English. And Hindi, I learned just because I really like Bollywood films. <laughs> and I think that covers them all. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's so, that's so cool. I'm so uh, jealous. And, uh, <laughs> and what, what a great opportunity you had. Um, okay, so it was, did it always seem natural to you that you would both not only learn but teach? Um, great question. No, I, although I've always loved learning the languages, teaching never really was on my radar uh, growing up. I, in fact, I actually intended to be a spy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had grand plans of going into um, either the CIA or the State Department or both. Um, I was, you know, big into, I think, West Wing in college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just one thing after the next came up, uh, and life happened, and I was not able to go um, to move at that point in time. I had some mm-hmm. um, familial obligations that kept me local. And so I did pursue that path. Um, but at the same time, when that option was kind of closing for me, I was contacted by my old high school, who um, this was in Arkansas, they needed half of a French teacher and half of a German teacher. And <laughs> so um, they decided, you know, no, not many people wanted to only take a half job. So they, mm-hmm. um, my, my language teachers with whom I had kept in contact um, brought to the attention of the, the school board or administrators, whoever that um, I spoke both. And so they uh, reached out to me and asked if I would do emergency certification for foreign language teaching. And so I was kind of at a, a crossroads. I didn't know what else to do with my life at that mm-hmm. point. And so I was like, sure, why not? And uh, it was one of those things that um, I intended it to be a short term solution while I found another plan. And it just kind of kept going. <laughs> And what's the difference between, or is there a difference between teaching a foreign language and teaching English as a second language? What, what kinds of differences are there? Yeah, that's a really great question. There's honestly not that much difference. The only difference I can think of is, and it's one that in an ideal world, we wouldn't do this, but um, when I'm teaching English as a second language or third, fourth, fifth, in some students' cases, yeah, um, 
we are teaching the class in English, so it's full immersion. Mm -hmm. And that's true even when I was teaching in the Middle East and in, in, in Japan, we were teaching exclusively in English. Um, when I taught German and French, again, ideally we, we would have done the same thing. I would have taught only in German and in French, but that's not really the traditional approach still in many American language mm -hmm. classrooms. And so we did rely a lot on falling back into the first language. Although interestingly, my French class, because again, this was still in that community in Arkansas, most of my students were um, native Spanish speakers. So mm -hmm. I, I did trans, you know, I kind of went into Spanish for some of them as well. But um, so I would say the big difference is in the United States teaching foreign languages, we rely on translation as a method mm -hmm. of learning going back and forth between two languages whereas teaching English to um, English language learners we tend to keep immersion. Do you have opinions about how the education system should change in order to teach language in the education system in the U.S.? Oh I like that question. Um, let me think about that for a second. I think first of all it should be more prioritized and that's changing for the positive right now already without, without my opinion. Um, we are progressing in the right direction. When I was in school, it wasn't required as all, at all. Um, it was optional. And I believe most American high schools require it now. I'm not certain on that. Um, and I, I'm pretty positive all colleges require it or um, at least universities require it. So that's a move in the right direction, but it's it's still one of those things where you and and I say this in no way um, disparaging my fellow colleagues in foreign language education because I know that they're doing the best with what, what they have. But you can still finish you know four or five years of high school language and not really speak the language. Yeah, so it's, the approaches need to change in many cases. In the area, I'm, I'm currently located in Minneapolis, and there are several charter schools here. I was pleased to discover when we moved here recently, for my daughter's sake, that are um, full immersion schools. Mm. The availability, I think, is increasing, and that's the right move. Good. Okay, so I, I know from my experience and also uh, from reading an article in the Washington Post that very few Americans, Washington Post says 20% of Americans uh, speak a second language. So many non-Americans speak multiple languages. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, why do you suppose Americans, so few Americans speak at least one other language besides English? Yeah, so I think there are a couple reasons for that. I think the first one being that at the moment, at least, it's not necessary yet. Um, right now, the whole world speaks English for us. Um, but again, I think that's a for, for now, uh, yet kind of point. The world will shift and other languages will increase in their importance. But right now, um, you know, I, I, my other passion is travel. And as much as I try to learn all of the languages, I can pretty much go anywhere in the world and find people who are speaking English with me. So mm -hmm. I think the motivation is low and I think we don't value it as a society. So without that motivation, it, the thing with language learning is it takes commitment and the way that we're currently teaching it isn't extremely engaging. We're doing, we're still doing a lot of rote memorization. And, um, and even when we've got some stellar foreign language teachers, but that's only like an hour, maybe a couple mm -hmm. of times a week. And it's just mm -hmm. not enough. It does take commitment. It takes time. 
and sadly, unfortunately, we're kind of heading in the direction of, you know, we moved away from TV shows to YouTube 15 minutes. And from there, we've moved to TikTok 15 seconds. And so our, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And I think it's, it really is a commitment to learn a language. I think you're right. Okay, so is it true? I know that children learn more easily than adults. Is it actually true that adults can't learn a language or, or find it really difficult? I get that question a lot, and particularly from some older adults in my close immediate circle. And um, I'm, I'm always like, oh, no, don't believe that. That's so not true. So it is a fact that babies do learn languages easily. It's a combination of both just biology. Their, their brains are better able to learn. Um, they have more elasticity, faster neural connections, which later changes because our brains specialize. They, they, mm -hmm. say, they decide, okay, we have what we need in this field and we're going to focus on that. Um, but they also, babies also have that perfect balance of full immersion, no inhibitions, and nothing else to do with their time, and they need uh, it to survive. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yes, as, a, as an infant up through especially age two, they're just going to soak it up. Mm -hmm. But adults from all studies, it's showing that there is really no reality to the idea that adults can't learn. Um, mm -hmm. It really comes down to you know, a combination of factors. If you are, for example, 65, working 80-hour weeks, you have a busy family and social life, and those are all in one language. If it's your, mm -hmm. your community is monolingual, you don't travel, and you don't really care, then no, <laughs> you're not going to learn a language at that point. Um, but if the same 65-year-old has more free time, uh, loves to travel, or has maybe a very multicultural group of friends, maybe they have like a new daughter-in-law and a new grandchild who speak that language at home. Mm -hmm. Like if the motivation is there, absolutely. Mm -hmm. They can absolutely learn a language at any age. I think the, the statistic was Leonardo da Vinci started learning Latin at 65 and was successful in it. Now, granted, I mean, obviously da Vinci is a bit of a genius, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, I've, I've seen many other, more advanced aged learners be very successful as well, so. I have a belief, I'm not sure if it's true or not. I, I know a bunch of Dutch people and they, uh, all of them speak at least four languages. Sure, yeah. And I was wondering whether it was because once you have sort of a mental structure for learning languages, you can um, plug more into that. Do you think that there's some truth to that? Yeah, I would agree. I don't have necessarily the, the science to back it, but I do have the personal experience that mm -hmm. every language I've added has been easier. Um, and mm -hmm. that includes languages that are more technically what we would consider more complicated for English speakers. Mm -hmm. um, once you have that framework of understanding that they're, you know, what grammar is in the first place mm -hmm. or um, how to listen to different words and nuances or, or just you know once you're comfortable not understanding everything once you've kind mm -hmm. of broken that inhibition barrier then I would mm -hmm. say it's absolutely each language in my experience is easier to learn. Yeah speaking of inhibitions yeah a good friend of mine when I was just beginning to learn Italian and finding it so difficult to be willing to make a fool of myself she gave me the example that when she was learning French that you have to be willing to say me want cookie Exactly. Um, and, uh, you can't be perfect all the time. You have mm -hmm. to, in the beginning, make a fool of yourself. Exactly. And, and I have found it true here that 
if I try, people love me. Nobody here has ever, I'm not sure if that's true in Paris, but uh, <laughs> certainly in Italy, nobody here has ever shamed me for, for doing the best I could. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's been my experience everywhere in the world I've traveled. Although to your point, I think the one place I've, I've gotten that was Paris. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll definitely hand it to you in Paris. <laughs> Uh, but elsewhere, they're very, they're just excited, especially some of the more, um, I, or some of the less learned languages, if it's a, if a, mm -hmm. a more regional language, or, you know, just not a, a popularly learned language, they're mm -hmm. just they're so excited that you're attempting it, mm -hmm. that, um, mm -hmm. you know. Do you have any, any good stories about blunders you've made in, in certain languages? I can't think of any real blunders, although I, I um, I know there were times in, in France where um, I would attempt, and I would just be so excited since French was the first language I started learning. Mm -hmm. And I, so I was young, I was like a teenager and uh, I was just so proud to buy the, the subway and the Metro tickets for my parents. Mm -hmm. And they would be like, let's just speak English. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and I would just be like, wah, wah. Um, <laughs> but I do remember when I started learning Mandarin, I was learning it for, the relationship I was in at the time, but I didn't start learning it actually until I went to Austria to study abroad. So I, um, I actually learned Mandarin through German. My textbook mm -hmm. and everything was in German, but I didn't tell him or, or his family that I was studying Mandarin. Um, so I was gone for a year and then I came home and I waited about six months <laughs> and I would go over to their house and I would just listen. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, and then one day I remember his, his mother, um, who was so dear, I, I just loved her so much, but she asked him, is she hungry? And I responded mm -hmm. in Mandarin, yes, she is. She'd like some noodles, please. <laughs> it was like this record scratch moment where everyone just stopped what they were doing. And they're like, what? <laughs> uh, and as long as we were in that relationship, his family just really could never grasp that I understood what they were saying. <laughs> oh, that's so, cool. so there were many moments where his uncles would, would talk about me in front of me and, and I'd be like, Andy, yeah, right? <laughs> and so that was that was kind of fun. That's that's one reason I enjoy languages. <laughs> when I was talking about blenders, I was remembering one which still makes my cheeks go hot that I um, if somebody would invite me to some to some event, I would say, oh, wow, yes, I'm very excited about that you know and and mm -hmm. uh, so, sono eccitata which i found out later means i'm very horny <laughs> i yes i think i've had a few of those actually now that you mention it i studied in i did an internship in switzerland and so i had a swiss host family and we spoke swiss german and um at the time i remember at the end of the meal i would say i am full uh, or the translation, you know, ich bin voll um, in, in German. And finally, after like a month, they're like, do you know that means you're pregnant? Are you trying to tell me you're pregnant? Or are you... <laughs> I, so they were like, the whole time they were like, I don't think she means that. But they didn't. They, and you know, at the end of the meal, they were like, maybe it has some connection to the food. Um, <laughs> but it was like a month into our into my stay there before they were like, um, are you pregnant? <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's definitely one of the awkward moments. <laughs> okay, so what advice do you have for adults who 
think they'd like to begin to learn another language? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a couple of thoughts for adults who want to learn. I would say the first being you have to connect with your why. So why are you learning the language? Not to, not to pull off of uh, Marie Kondo's uh, tidying up thoughts, but it should spark joy. <laughs> um, it should be something that gets you excited about it. Otherwise, again, the, the motivation just isn't there. And when I say not just know your why, but connect with it, because it's a long, it can be a very long road for learning a language. And so, you know, maybe a year into it, you're just not really feeling it anymore. And you have to be able to, to reconnect with it, to come back to it. An example being right now, um, so I do focal months. So each month is, um, I focus on one of the languages, maintaining and improving one of the languages. Okay. And um at the moment, it's French month. And I just wasn't feeling it this month. You know, I, I was coming off of a Mandarin month, I was pretty stoked about my progress in Mandarin. And I just wasn't feeling the French. I, so I put on a movie that was filmed during the time that I was living in Europe. And you know, everyone was wearing the fashions we wore. And you know, the music was from that time. And, and it just really reminded me of that mental space that I was in, you know, like that just enthusiasm for Europe, and just kind of the also just the feelings of independence that I had as that, you know, college student living in Europe. And um, it re-sparked that connection. So mm -hmm. I would say know your, know your why and then keep it close, uh, revisit it. Beyond that, I would say one of the most effective ways to improve language is reading. And most people are like, well, how can I read when I just really don't know any of the language? So you want to read something interesting, but read from the beginning, whatever you can, can connect with. And um, maybe that's children's books. Maybe that is, I like to find novels that I love in my first language and find them in the target language. And then that way I know what should be happening. So if I don't necessarily know all the words, then I know what they, I know the context already. But these days there is authentic language material in easily easily available through you know amazon or through you know news sources whatever in, the, in pretty much every language so anything you can read that's going to help you increase your language just like with your first language reading is going to make you have a bigger vocabulary and be more articulate in your first language as well so i always tell people to read and then the last advice i have is um, what i call anywhere immersion and people always want to know if you must have immersion to progress in a language. And I would say that that's debatable. Like one of my pet peeves is uh, absolutes. So if anyone tells you you can't do this or you must do this in a language, completely ignore them because everyone is <laughs> going to be unique. So, um, you know, you'll see YouTube videos that are like, you must have immersion to learn a language. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, maybe not. But I, I would say immersion is definitely advantageous, but you don't need to go anywhere for it. Again, especially considering our connectivity. So mm -hmm. when I, when I'm working on a focal language, I try to, where my schedule allows, pick like a weekend at least out of the month that is an immersion weekend. And in that situation, I pretend like I'm in that place. And so I only watch Netflix TV shows or movies that are in the target language, which is so easy to do these days. You just go to the search function, search movies in French or French TV shows, and they give you, you know, I've, I've yet to really 
meet a language that they don't have, at least of the main, you know, I don't, I don't know that they have Nepali or something, but similarly, I will only read books in that language that weekend. Um, my music choices will be music in that language, or even just, you know, if I'm doing like a Japanese month, I might be Japanese traditional, you know, just to get that instrumental feel of being in that culture. Um, I'll even plan my meals to be, you know, sushi or, or crepes mm -hmm. or something local to really put me in that headspace. So I would do, I like the, the anywhere immersion. And then um, with that, I call it the language master challenges. Um, I studied at Concordia language villages for German and they have a cool approach where, you know, you're you, these are kids, teenagers, but you are challenged to only speak that language, no English throughout the whole day. And at the end of the day, you get a bead, which you can use to buy things. So even as an adult by myself, I'll do language master days where I am only allowed to speak that language and no English. And so even in my weakest languages where I just really don't have a lot of vocabulary, first of all, it just makes me less chatty, <laughs> but um, it it causes me to think in new ways by removing that option of switching back into English. I'm like, okay, I don't know that vocabulary word, but is there another way that I can say this in mm -hmm. that language? So you can start doing that really pretty early on. Again, you might be, it might be a bit of a silent day, but um, <laughs> from, from a fairly early stage, you can have that challenge to yourself. Or maybe, you know, if you're just getting started, just have it be like, okay, this hour, this hour mm -hmm. is only that language. And just the kind of expand your time frame until you can, you can challenge yourself to longer and longer periods. How yeah, does that work with your family? Yeah, good question. <laughs> so my, my favorite language partner is actually um, and I, this is one thing that I do really recommend for language learners. If you have children, they don't judge as well, mm. at least the, the really the young ones. <laughs> so I have an infant daughter. Uh, she's about a year old and I speak all of my languages with her. And oh. that is nice because it gives me a language partner who, with whom I don't have any inhibitions. So mm. with her, it's, it's not an issue and she will grow up multilingual. I, she probably won't grow up with any fluency in my weaker languages and that's okay. I, I don't intend, you know, I'm not going to try to force all of my languages on her. They're a, they're a gift, not a requirement. So she, mm -hmm. so it's easy. Most of my time is spent with her and that's fine with my, the rest of my family. My, um, my father understands a couple of my languages and enjoys languages as well. So he um, gets a kick out of it. My, um, my mom just kind of tolerates it, I think, um, and, and jokingly <laughs> participates that she's not a, a, she's a genius in many other areas, but not, uh, not languages. That's not her thing. So she, you know, she's after years of being my mother, she's gotten used to simply using context for some of, <laughs> some of it, like, oh, she's speaking a language. I don't know it, but she seems to be pointing at the water cup. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, and my um, my daughter's father is also monolingual, and um, so he similarly he just kind of um, uses context or, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> just mm -hmm. goes about his day. Uh, now I do mm -hmm. with with my work colleagues. Obviously, I have to s switch back to English, but yeah, my my family is just kind of used to my odd quirks. <laughs> and is there anything that an adult learner should avoid mm -hmm. um, when they're trying to learn a language? Yeah. So first I would say avoid any negative statistics that you're told. So like, like mm -hmm. we were saying, 
if you hear the old saying of uh, people over two or over 18 can't learn a language, just completely ignore any negative statistics because it's just not true. Um, there are no absolutes. And then I would also say ignore any advice that takes you away from your gut. So again, if, if you feel like you're going along and, and you want to learn a language by doing, I don't know, only singing song, pop songs um, and that's all you want to do. If that's what makes it work for you, go for it. Don't, don't listen to anyone who's, who's taking you away from your gut about what you know about yourself as a learner. So I would say just trust your, yourself and follow your interests. Make it something that you enjoy and anything that brings negativity to it, just completely ignore it. That's wise advice. So how important do you think it is to, to learn grammar when mm -hmm. you're starting out? I think there are two components to that. One is personal. Uh, it depends on your language style and your goal. So for me personally, I've tried both approaches, learning grammar straight out and also learning just through immersion first and adding grammar later. For me, learning through immersion, it feels more natural. Um, and then I just kind of add the grammar later. But I will say that I noticed Hindi is one of my most recently added languages and my Hindi tutor has an approach where she teaches the, you know, like a how to conjugate a verb first and then builds from there. And I've noticed that I actually have made a lot of progress using that approach. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it really just depends on your style and your goal. If your goal is just receptive, like reading, or you just want to be able to understand what your other language speaking, you know, in-law or something is saying, then grammar is mm -hmm. not really that important. But if you mm -hmm. are looking to produce it, if you're studying it academically, you want to get into a graduate program or something that requires language, then grammar would be kind of important. The other factor, though, is the language itself. German, for example, is very grammar heavy, and I would be completely lost if I didn't have an understanding of case. Mandarin, on the other hand, is there's very little grammar. And that's, Mandarin's one of those languages that everyone's always like, oh, how did you learn such a complicated language? It's actually, I think, the easiest language that I've learned. Um, the tonal system is a little complex, but there's almost no grammar in Mandarin. It's beautiful. You, you just, she eat noodle. <laughs> you know, it's, um, you don't have to change the verbs to match anything. There's no gender. There's, you know, no case. It's, it's actually pretty easy. So in that case, I would say you don't really need to worry about grammar with Mandarin. I have a, a, a friend who's been helping me with conversational Italian. She's Italian and she studied um, Mandarin, uh, but she's tone deaf. And so it was very difficult for her because she couldn't really hear the, the, the differences. And so she never got very advanced in, in, in Mandarin. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I knew somebody who, um, once asked for, uh, and I don't actually know the word for this particular vocabulary, but it, there was a, there's a type of onions that is the mm -hmm. same the word as the word for worm. And it's just a tonal <laughs> difference. And so she asked um, at the table to pass, please pass the worms. And everyone was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, one of the things you made me think of is uh, how do you find a good teacher? Yeah, I love that these days it's, again, we're so interconnected. I personally use Verbling. And so I have, um, I work with tutors in all of my languages for maintenance and progress. And so they are 
generally speaking, local to the language you're speaking. So, I mean, that could be a little complicated with time zone differences at times, but, or you could select, you know, do you want your tutor to live in, you know, if you're studying, for me, it's great because learning Arabic, Arabic is different country to country and one country won't Mm -hmm. understand the Arabic of the next country over. Mm -hmm. So I prioritize Oman because I I lived there and that's my my heart Arabic, if you will, the Mm -hmm. the Arabic close to my heart. Um, But I also, I learn what I study is Egyptian Arabic. I have, mm-hmm. my tutor is um, Egyptian Arabic speaking because that's the Arabic that is on most like films and stuff. So everyone mm-hmm. understands that. So yeah, verbaling is fantastic because um, it's really reasonable rates. You have one-on-one tutoring with a native speaker. They can be anywhere in the world. You match your schedules up. In most cases, they offer a free trial. Mm-hmm. So um, you can kind of get to feel the, the tutor out a little bit first. So I, I definitely recommend verbling. Uh, there's also B-L-I-N-G? Yeah, V. so verb like is in um, the word for action, verb and then L-I-N-G, V-E-R-B-L-I-N-G. I haven't um, heard of that before. Yeah, it's, I, I really like it. There's also a very similar concept is, I believe it's um, italki. So I-T-A-L-K-I, italki.com. Um, I will put I th- these links in the show notes. Yeah, I think those are the two most well-known and, and well-established ones. And those have, they're great because they have forums for it. They are partnered with a video chat. So these are through video chat. You're actually seeing your, your language partner. Oh, oh, okay. um, yeah, so and they're, they're just, I really love it. There's package deals for five lessons or 10 lessons. And so, yeah, I try to work with my tutors um, during focal month. I'll work with them once a week. If it's not focal month, I'll try to connect with them every couple of months just to keep it fresh. And uh, any other resources that people should know about? There's just so many. The, of course, they're the, the most famous ones are like Rosetta Stone, which I personally use with great success, but it's not for everybody. So it's one of those things. Rosetta Stone is it's it's a bit it's not as pricey as it used to be. There's a lot of deals on it these days. But um, if you're not sure if you want to spend that kind of money, there is a demo option. And I would encourage people to use the demo before committing. They do have a, a wide range of languages available. So Rosetta Stone works for me. The free kind of response to Duo or to Rosetta Stone is Duolingo, which is an mm-hmm. app that you can have on your phone. It is crowdsourced, so mm-hmm. um, it, <laughs> the joke about Duolingo is that a lot of the sentences that it has you working with are completely bizarre. Like my cat ate the piano and then went dancing. Something like just really strange stuff that you're never going to say, but it's easy. And the thing that I love about Duolingo is it's gamified. So especially for the, you know, these days we have a shorter and shorter attention span and we need different motivation and and gratification. And so, you know, it's the kind of thing that it has a streak, for example, like you have to use it for five minutes every day to keep your streak alive. And so it really, and I don't know why that matters to me, but it does. It becomes very, very important that I not lose my streak. um, It definitely motivates you if you're having an off day and you don't want to study and you're like, oh, but I'll lose my streak. So I would say those <laughs> Quizlet is, and then that's just Q-U-I-Z-L-E-T. Uh, Quizlet is an app that's on the computer or your phone that's for flashcards. And what 
what I like about Quizlet is you can build your own decks to study or you can search for decks that other people have already created. So for example, I am currently prepping to take the HSK, which is the International Mandarin Proficiency Exam. And for that, you are required um, to know. So I'm shooting for the HSK three, which requires 600 Mandarin characters. Um, and those are specific characters. And there are already decks built into Quizlet that have those characters. So I don't have to do anything. I can just jump on Quizlet, find a deck that has HSK3 vocabulary and start studying. And that's entirely free. Let's see, we've got social media these days. You can follow on Instagram, for example, accounts that teach a word of the day or a, you know, a phrase of the day. I, on my Instagram, I do every like uh, every couple of weeks is a new word or phrase for multilingual parenting for parents who are hoping to start speaking a language with their child, but don't necessarily have the fluency, you know, we'll, we'll post that word of the day in, in my languages, for example. So there are a lot of different accounts that do that sort of thing. There are podcasts, YouTube channels. I especially like podcasts that are, they have the slow news. Um, so, mm, in, oh yes. Yeah, if you're just starting out and you just want to kind of hear anything that can help you hear authentic language in motion is definitely great. And then, you know, find a language partner, even if it's not a paid verbling one, find somebody that you know, or, you know, search on Spotify, French music, um, or, you know, they've got the top charts, the top 50 charts for France or Hong Kong or whatever. So just anything that you can find to immerse yourself in authentic language. Those are great ideas. Have you heard of Buzu? Uh, that's one that I've just recently been trying. No, I'll have to look into that. B-U-S-U-U. -U. The teacher that I follow on YouTube recommended it. I find it a little more engaging and a, at a better level for me uh, than Duolingo. Okay, uh, so. I'll have to look at that one. Thank you. So what are you teaching these days? What, how, how are you involved with, with language study? So no, I, I stopped teaching language when I moved back to the US, um, but I do language coaching, uh, language acquisition coaching. So basically what that is, is kind of like a, you know, a, a basketball coach or a football coach. They're not playing the game for you. They're not necessarily teaching you how to play the game. They're there to kind of, you know, so what a, a language acquisition coach does is we sit down and we discuss your goals, your intentions, we determine your learning style, and we basically build a roadmap. And then like a coach, like a cheerleader, keep accountability, you know, I provide resources, but the, the language learning, you know, is usually the, the clients would use like a, a tutor or a workbook or something like that. I'm not giving active grammar classes or anything like that, mm -hmm. but I am coaching mm -hmm. you along the path to your language journey. And are you accepting new clients uh, at this time? Can people yeah. find you? And, and okay, so I'll put links to how to get in touch with you in the show notes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, so my, my website is chooseyourlifeadventure.com. What's next for you to learn rather than just maintaining? What, what are you thinking that you might turn to? Over the years, I've studied uh, many additional languages kind of casually, especially as I was traveling. But my next two that I will actually like flesh out into full, full blown uh, knowledge would be I've started Norwegian and Swahili. Mm. So they're, they're on deck. Um, and then Korean, Portuguese and Cantonese, I think, are the three after that. 
because you want to travel to all of those places or what, um, what makes you want to, to learn them? Yeah, what's my why? Um, mm -hmm. For Norwegian, my my daughter's father, he was born in the US, but they're like pure Norwegian. So it's mm -hmm. um, her, her heritage and I want to be able to mm -hmm. share that part of her heritage with her. And then Swahili, mm -hmm. um, I've spent some time in Eastern Africa and it just really, a lot of this is for me, my why is almost always because I adore traveling. I just, I'm obsessed with traveling, mm -hmm. but I find it rude to show up in a country and expect everyone to accommodate me. So okay. if there's a country that I'm particularly drawn to or, or a region, then I try to learn that language just out of respect for their culture. So um, Swahili mm -hmm. has to do with my, my love for Kenya, particularly the Maasai area. Mm -hmm. And let's see, the Portuguese is, again, for somebody that I know who speaks Portuguese mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Korean, actually, that one, I don't necessarily have a why yet. <laughs> I just know that I want to learn it. Um, and so I have to explore that one a little, a little more. I don't know, maybe I'll, it's the K-pop. Maybe I want to get into K-pop. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a yeah. little bit of BTS or Blackpink. And then Cantonese, I think. So I think Korean and, and Cantonese are more just because in language acquisition coaching, um, that's, those are big business hubs. So mm -hmm. um, those are areas where there would be a lot of business need. So good, good, good. Okay, so of the languages that you know, do you have a favorite? Yes, and it changes every month <laughs> based on my focal language. Uh, yeah, when I'm when I'm in that language, I just I just get so excited about it. It's kind of it's almost like relationships for me. Like I'm just fully committed at that moment. Um, but then I'm, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't be very good at the relationship because I'm also always thinking about the next one as well. Uh, I they're just they're they take on such life for me. Um, I coming off of Mandarin month, I was just so engaged in Mandarin and I just was so excited about it. French right now is connecting me to, you know, the feelings I had as a young adult and it being my first language and that the excitement that comes with knowing that there's this huge world out there for me. Mm -hmm. And then next month is Japanese and it just, um, you know, I'm a Studio Ghibli fan and I lived in <laughs> Tokyo. And so it makes me think of, you know, uh, riding the Shinkansen and, and um, doing tea ceremony in Kyoto. So it's just, yeah, it's whichever language I'm in at the moment. It just brings up all of the, all of the feels for me. Mm -hmm. And was there one that was hardest? Um, I would say Arabic. Arabic mm -hmm. is a beautiful language. It does have more complicated grammar. However, there's a lot of um, gendering, uh, not just in grammatical gendering, like uh, you would know from French or Italian or Spanish, but you say different things based on if your, your recipient is male or female. And, and then the they have several sounds that we don't have. And since I started that one already in my 30s, I'm just not as able to hear those differences and produce mm. those differences, which is why I want my daughter to be exposed at this young age. Um, mm -hmm. So even if she doesn't maintain it now, having heard those sounds and used them in, in early childhood, they'll be more accessible to her later. But my Arabic tutor is uh, fantastic. I really enjoy working with her and she's so patient with me mm -hmm. when I'm trying to, they have kind of like 
more um, like glottal stops and, and mm-hmm. sounds that mm-hmm. kind of come from the back of the throat. And, and um, she'll say the word and I'll say it and it, it's not right. <laughs> and she'll try it again. <laughs> and she's, bless her, she's so patient with me. Um, so I would say Arabic is probably the most difficult. I did briefly attempt Vietnamese and mm-hmm. that one was complicated enough that I, I actually just didn't continue. I didn't have a strong why mm-hmm. at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say Vietnamese was pretty difficult as well. Wow, it's so refreshing to hear your enthusiasm for language learning. It really is exciting and, and I, I really love your approach. Oh, thank Do you. you. A- anything that you would like to say in conclusion? No, I think just reiterating that anyone who's who's told you that you can't learn a language at any point in your life, it just they're wrong. You know, find something that makes you passionate about it and and pursue that. And I have such a supportive family. My parents, my my sister is, you know, they're all so supportive. So that that helps a lot. So if if you want to learn a language, I would say make sure that the the people around you are positive about it and not if you've if you've got a, a partner or a parent or somebody who's saying oh you're too old for that or you're you know you're bad Mm -hmm. at languages you know Mm -hmm. just try to disregard that my thanks to sarah tarvin you can find out more about her and the resources she mentioned in the show notes i invite everyone to tell me what you've always wanted to try and please take a moment to fill out a brief survey so i can find out more about you you'll find it at lizsumner.com survey I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold, and thanks for listening.